Hello, and welcome to Moral High Ground, where we find out what's morally right to you. Today I'm going to be talking about something I talked about before, these animals are trying to be protectors of them. Well, today I'm going to talk about that, but a little more intense. Today I'm going to say we're talking about trying to build back a connection with nature. So... The first thing, city people have no clue of farm life or a lot of animals in the wild. And when you hear things from people who actually like watch the nature show or experienced it in real life, they have no idea what you're talking about. And they really believe damn near anything unless they actually go out and deal with it. Usually people in the city that agree with someone that has these knowledge on certain creatures uh, actually, you know, dealt, dealt with it themselves or been around it before. I remember a time, like, I don't know, somewhere in the early 2000s where people were trying to convince me that cows can't lay down, they sleep standing up and all this crap. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? They, they put their knee hooves on me for them and fall asleep, you know? And I had a conversation with another girl about this just not too long ago. And she was like, yeah, that's stupid. Why would they think that? I said, because they don't go to farms. They don't, all they do is eat beef. They don't be around live, you know, creatures that produce it, you know? And so the thing about it is, and then there was some other crap I heard about like ducks and some other nonsense. So my thing is this, you know, city people need a certain type of, I know they already got like a dude ranch type thing where people go out and they ride horses and things like that, kind of like city slippers. And they got other things similar to that, but they're like zoos and petting zoos. But it's like, why not have like an animal rescue place that trains people how to treat and help certain animals. It just makes a little more, it just makes a little bit more logic to trying to enhance the survival of these creatures, you know, and be informative as a human to help these creatures. You know, like maybe there's ones for reptiles, maybe there's ones for, you know, tall mammals like giraffes or elephants or something like, you know, cat species, canines, whatever, you know, and, uh, hold on, <laughs> too much dust in here, but anyway, so, the thing is, like, why not just have, like, these rescues for, like, you know, marsupials, anything, you can think of an animal that pretty much, if you could take, I don't know how big the list is of endangered animals, but, if you can take at least about, oh, let's say 12 endangered animals and get each 12 endangered animals a place to populate. As they're populating, you have people come out and learn about them first and the people that already know about them and know what they need both for health and to procreate as well as communicate with humans, you know, or have that connection, I should say, because we know animals can't talk, of course, just say that, (laughs) 
everybody knows that. Well, some you know, parents seem to talk too much and cats do weird crap. They're just crazy creature. But the thing I'm trying to say is this that we have these people already on this facility. They learned enough about the animal to be able to teach someone else how to take care of the animal, as well as uh, be able to deal with its, you know, nature, its habits, and be able to spread that knowledge to other people, children. So I think making like uh, kind of a controlled. Uh, range of environment that they could work with these animals and be able to at the same time spread this knowledge around and just have groups of people go out to meet these animals. Now I've been talking about making teams of people between 65 or 18 and 65 groups of people where they come together and they go help do things in the community grow closer thus making a a closer uh, connection with people in society, bringing society together, bringing humanity together. So I'm thinking, and it's only because of the damn separation that's been put out there by, you know, YouTube really, and other places where they just constantly talk about difference between men and women and why there's such a hatred between men and women and really I just think it's more of one culture it's not all cultures but I have to say that the, the lack rate of you know human childbirth proves that there is a big issue as well as the fact that there's more females on the earth now than there's males that the reason why these things are happening is because there's not that connection and I think that connection has to do still with the fact that bad communication, things that are in this world now that weren't in this world before, like technology, all these things that pretty much makes people say, hey, I don't need nobody, you know? And so they need that connection that brings them back to nature. That nature connection will probably bring them back to around full circle and say, hey, we need to procreate. This is part of nature. And so by seeing animals procreate, it obviously make them procreate. So when I'm saying these teams do this stuff, when they go out in a big group and connect, I'm thinking more of a smaller group when it comes to helping these animals. So you take like four people, two males, two females, and, you know, don't know each other, whatever, having their main task of learning all about this certain creature. Let's just say, for instance, I'm gonna name the most craziest creature okay, that I can think of right now. That's a, you know would be a badger probably. You know badgers attack people and things. So I always have like you know four people like I said, two guys, two females, and you have two guys. I mean a guy and a girl in charge of the health of the animal, learning pretty much how to be a vet. Everything that a badger needs to survive out in the wilderness. And then you have like the other two work on trying to procreate the animal and make sure that the, the offspring of the animal is able to survive and not just able to survive, able to be strong enough to survive for many years and be able to uh, procreate and make more. And so I believe that would be a good bonding issue, which where maybe these people end up becoming 
you know, when you know, in a good relationship, or if not in a relationship, good friendship, you know, where they can able to communicate and they share a bond based off of a badger. I know it sounds stupid, and some of you perverts will take badger and use it somewhere crazy. I just thought about it. By the way, I just said badger. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? I just know people think crazy. But I just picked a badger because I watched something crap about badgers a little while ago. And they were talking about uh, the wolverine going extinct and some other animal, uh, ocelot, and some other thing I was watching. But anyway, so... My point is this, that we need these people to make a connection and these animals need to be protected. Now, in the last time I talked about this, I was talking about how God made men and he made animals to, you know, pretty much be there. Like, we're supposed to be there to protect them. We're supposed to be there to have them help us with tasks and, you know, we're supposed to tend the garden. All these things are good and, and all are a proven fact that some animals can't survive without humans and some plants can't really grow without you know the help of humans as well you know now some of the stuff we eat in plants though is different because they've been genetically altered like our corn people look at it and go oh this is how it is well, corn really started off like a wheat that got mutated and now we got these big ears full of stuff you know and you know, it doesn't digest well because it's a mutated strain, but for whatever reason, it's good to eat, I guess. And uh, it's something that needs to be done. And that's another subject uh, on a different uh, episode. But what I'm saying is this it's like we as humans, I think, have forgotten. We've forgotten our humanity. And the reason why we forgot our humanity. And I'm not saying that we don't know we're human. Of course we know we're human. The problem is we've got arrogant and think we're beyond human. Like we're gods. You know, people look at these movie actors and musicians and think, wow, they're like God, they're powerful, they got money, you know, and in all reality, these people break down. These people have depression, these people have all kinds of issues that are traumatizing to a regular person as well as they have financial problems and everything i watched a documentary on red fox and i was surprised that when he died he didn't have any income and eddie murphy had to pay for his funeral and there were so so many other things like that i've seen in the past where there's an actor who's very popular very glorified and fall short of being able to handle the situations in life, as well as the ones that go overboard and commit the ultimate uh, thing, like what happened to Robin Williams, a guy that was hilarious, very well loved by everybody. Even even if you were like, oh, the hell with this guy, you know, Mork from Orca or whatever, the guy was a good actor. You gotta give it to him, and he was always, he would make something, the most ridiculous roles, entertaining and he suffered a lot of uh, personal problems and we all do but yet people glorify these actors and put them on a pedestal as well as musicians and so many other things but they fall short of realizing that we're all human and we all have a connection 
The only problem is humans are missing the connection of nature, of animals being part of our lives. The only thing they do now with animals, which is odd to me, and it's been odd to me for quite some time since, I don't know, let's just say uh, Paris Hilton came on the scene because she had chihuahuas and stuff. Later on, I had chihuahuas, but it had nothing to do with that. It was just my cousin was breeding dogs and they happened to get chihuahuas. And I seen one I like, I said, I like that little dog. And I got the little dog and it was able, it knew how to use the bathroom, which was the coolest thing to me. <laughs> like it didn't like me to be potty trained to go outside or not to pee on the carpet. It had to start off with these little pads where it needed to go to the bathroom. And it went directly to the pad like a cat would go to a, a kitty litter thing. And that was it. And after a while, it was easy to take her outside. She just goes to the bathroom. Or she'll scratch at the door if she wanted to go to the bathroom. It was just simplified. And on top of that, it was, you know, regardless how dumb people think these little dogs are, that dog was very smart and liked to watch TV you know, look at me when I'm talking to it. And then I kind of understood with that dog how dogs are man's best friend. And it wasn't just her, it was other dogs. I, I mean, I've been through a lot of dogs. Dogs don't live as long as us. But in the end, there's always the usual people you take your dog or your dog ends up getting sick or someone runs it over. I had a real traumatic thing when I was think I was like 10 or 11, someone had ran over a dog I got from one of my cousins, and I named it Frisky for some reason, like, it was a Frisky Kitty Litter commercial I liked back in the day, I, don't ask me why, I named a dog after a cat commercial product, but, <laughs> anyway, what happened was, the, the dog got hit by this woman in a station wagon, even though those don't exist anymore, and, uh, the woman was like, so sad or whatever and I was like super depressed because the dog was cool it followed me everywhere and, you know when I ride my bike it would run behind me he was just the coolest little dog but uh that happened and it was kind of traumatic and I had something serious another scenario later on with a cat one of my, my cat I grew up with and it was the same kind of thing it was really sad but the thing about it is we need these bonds to show, I mean, humans are just really arrogant and selfish and, how can I say this, just cruel and petty. And when it comes to animals, I think they show us a, that there's something else better than us out there. There's something different. There's something else that needs the same oxygen we need. Something else that needs nourishment. Something else that needs to have the it. It, okay? they, they need to breed. They need their shelter. They need their love or whatever. You know, they need their mate. And that's what makes animals beautiful compared to humans. And here's the thing: they know these skills, the same things we know when it comes to it. But the thing about it is, they do it naturally. There's no internet service to, to date. There's no, you know running around trying to work hard for something they work hard but they get it done you know they're not doing it for money they're doing it to uh by instinct to help their species to help their offspring you know their mate you know they're doing these things just to live 
comfortably the way their species knows how. Except for humans have too many ways to do things to make them live comfortable. And when they think they're living comfortable, they're truly not. So we need to get this connection back with these animals. And to do this, I say, I'm not, I really say we need to have places that are trying to repopulate all endangered species. Now I can say that the zoos do it all right, but I think the main focus of a zoo is to show people who may never see like a hippopotamus or something in their life, oh, here's this animal, but yet they're making profit off this animal doing it. It's the same scenario when there was, when the circus was more popular, that they would go have a circus where elephants would walk by, and, you know, giraffes or whatever, you know, monkeys and stuff. But they were used for entertainment. They weren't really doing anything else. They were just used for entertainment. And sadly, the animal would die and get sent to a zoo. So pretty much a zoo, is, in some cases, is a place for retired animals that worked, you know. And who knows what happens to retired police dogs. Maybe they retire with the officer or just, you know, put out the pasture in a certain way you would say that, you know. So I want a facility that's truly trying to repopulate uh, the animals that are being, uh, you know, pretty much going extinct and being executed by poachers and stuff. And, you know, the ultimate thing is, too, if you're around these animals, like, let's say, let's just use a smaller animal that everyone knows, like a pig. Let's say you have a pig, and there's a pig guy who knows everything, and maybe he has, like, a brother or a wife or something that's like a vet, and they take care of pigs. And so, they need help. So, they get this couples, like I said, four couples, um, or two couples, I should say, and, you know, they bring one one pair to work with medical part, which is the vet part, and then another one to work with the business and healthcare of the animal. And so, or, you know, learn about the animal. And so, the thing about it is, you know, breeding and stuff, but the thing about it is, so, they learn about these pigs. Ultimately, they're probably going to name the pig. You know, they're going to get all soft and happy about it. I watched something where these girls were in, like, some survival thing, and these pigs came up on their island or whatever the crap, and all they did was like, oh, you know, how cute, how cute, you know. And, you know, they didn't want to kill it or whatever. But the thing about it was eventually they got to eat something, you know. But the thing about it was they were more focused on the... the how beautiful and whatever the little pig was. And so that made me think like, if a human was out in the wild and they're dealing with these animals, they're ultimately not gonna wanna eat that animal if they're spending so much time around it. They're gonna become some form of vegetarian or ovivore, ovivore, I don't remember exactly, but I think ovivore is the, the right pronunciation, you know, the animal that can eat meat and vegetation. So, that's what they're going to be, and they're going to do this because they're more around the animal, they understand the animal, they're communicating with the animal on the animal's understanding that it can make with humans, it's understanding the health of this animal, 
you know, what the animal likes, dislikes, you know, what it can do when it's around in the sun or at night or whatever. You know, all animals have different biological things like cats see better in the dark and stuff. Dogs are better diggers and stuff, you know, and things like that, hunters and things like, you know, plenty simple. So the main focus would be that people would ultimately lose more of their cravings for meat and it would be more like a luxury product, not an everyday product. Because people go every day eating beef or pork or chicken or whatever all the time. But if you're around these animals all the time, I'm pretty positive less would be more efficient and plant life would be more observed, absorbed, I should say. And probably extend life more on earth so my thing is I don't know how this would happen this is just a thought I wanted to share and you know I know people go all kinds of rescue places and charity donations to help animals but money only goes so far and then nowadays with what I said in the previous episode about hackers and stammers and con artists is that eventually someone's going to take their money that's donated to these animals and abuse it in a certain way and that's not good so we want to find some places hands-on trying to repopulate the animals that are going extinct okay that way in the future you can say hey there's still ocelots there's still wolverines there's still bengal tigers there's still you know go on and so on and so on they try to do this with two animal reservations i know there's one in florida about has to do with uh crocodiles and certain crocodiles going extinct they overpopulated because i guess they lay like 12 or 24 eggs at a time so they overpopulated so that species is back they do the same thing with this woman from the 70s i cannot remember this actor's name for the life of me but she went and it was a, in a movie and got assaulted by a lion and instead of fearing lions she fell in love with them and every other feline that's a wild animal and opened an animal uh, rescue place and some animals bred together that shouldn't have bred together like tigers and lions and then you got your ligor or whatever then there's another one the opposite way uh, I think it has something to do with the father's a lion and the mother's a tiger. You got a ligor. And then if there's a tiger father and a mother that's a lion, it's a Thailand or something like that. So, and I learned this from watching a documentary based on this woman and the animals that she created. And they show the difference between the two. Like, uh, tigers are supposed to pounce and lions are supposed to, like, be more, uh, I guess it's like aggressive or something. I could not remember. Like they were like a job thing. So yeah, it's the beauty of learning these animals and then on top of that, I guess creating new ones. But that ultimately couldn't breed. I think that was the issue with the liger and the other one is they couldn't breed and repopulate. So they just had a uh, an animal that had a life and. They had to find a way to work with it, and I guess because it had both uh, the lion and the, the tiger DNAs, both animals had a flaw with something because they had 
you know, the pouncing from the tiger that doesn't work with a lion, but yet it's in the lion DNA, and then there was a roar or whatever, and it was all this crap. So, and then there's lots of different other felines that people don't talk about. So many others that you can just look up in a book uh, if you wanted to, and some that are feline looking like, but they're not considered felines. And so, that's something very interesting to get into. And the same thing with canines, there's a lot of canines, and there's even, uh, there was a marsupial that died in the early uh, 20th century, and it actually looked like a dog, like some kind of canine, but it was considered a marsupial. It was considered around the same creature as a, a wallaby, kangaroo, or a koala bear, and those are all marsupials. And it was a pretty much looked like a wolf, a dog, or whatever. It had teeth, had the nose, snout, you know, tail, everything, and it passed away. It did it went extinct. Why did it go extinct? A lot of people hunted it down, whatnot. We gotta find a way to take our most vicious creatures and keep them alive for a reason. There's a reason why they're on this earth. And it's protecting humans from something or some other creature from something. Everything has its own job that works together with, with something, you know. Like worms, they eat stuff, but they work with the soil and make the soil better. You know, and like ants, they they dig and they do all this stuff. Make wormholes really annoying. But at the same time, they serve a purpose by getting rid of some plants and stuff that are poisonous to us so that they'll take down and eat themselves, you know. And, you know, every animal has this ability to do something that benefits another animal or another species that keeps going and going. Now, with reptiles, the issue is pretty much these things can never stop growing to the day they die. At the same time, they constantly breed and at, at big, big quantities of snakes and or, or crocodiles or, cro or alligators, whatever. So it's a species that really can't go extinct if you think about it. But in a time where they will go extinct, it's easier, I think, to populate them. You know, as long as you keep them away from cold weather because they're cold-blooded or warm-blooded, whatever. Anyway, so the main focus of what I'm trying to say is that humans can regain their connection with nature and the harmony of animals by trying to find a way to get that connection back take people out of the mainstream city every now and then and let them work with animals and then if this person that's tired of living in a mainstream city or a homeless person it just says they, they, they give up on begging and all that and they want to try to live normal put them in some place where they can learn how to take care of another life form and it will probably change their whole perspective on life you know and that's the whole purpose is to be able to have that connection to feel alive if you make something else feel alive and stuff it makes you humble but those are people that like to hunt and kill animals or think that they serve no purpose and stuff they'll just kill an animal kick it you know do all kinds of brutality things to an animal but some of these animals if, I mean, if you think about it our cultures from way back when knew what kind of animals served a purpose 
and a lot of them have a hierarchy like bears you know native american culture bears are very respected in china the monkey is very respected not just the monkey you have a whole system based off of it you know you have the tiger crane you know the rat you know you're the rat you're the horse you're the pig you know all this stuff you know and it's the same thing with shoot even looney tunes got their own animal farm type of thing going on but all of them have a hierarchy you know so there's always an animal that's supposed to be bigger than next why is duck so popular in animation who knows but there's so many damn ducks donald duck daffy duck darkwing duck gizmo duck you know howard the duck <laughs> you know there's ducks everywhere okay why is there all these rabbits bugs bunny you know what i'm saying buster bunny you know, babs bunny you know what I'm saying? Roger Rabbit. You know, I can go on and on and on about that too. There's all these different rabbits and ducks and and whatever reason a mouse is interesting, but uh, you know, ultimately people are afraid of certain animals and that's a that's a given. You know, some people are afraid of spiders where to me spiders don't mean anything. You just you know, you can just crush them on a web, but you know, some of them are intimidating I guess if they're huger. Like a tarantula, I don't want to be around a tarantula, but still, not that I'm afraid of it, it's just an animal where I don't want to be in contact of, you know, and and then I do, and then another thing about this is that when you have a fear for an animal, you know, you're completely disgusted, maybe you see certain things happen, you might be more involved if there's a necessary need for the animal and you to be in contact with it, then you might slowly start to unwind when it comes to it. But other than that, no, there's no necessary need to be around animals that are, you know, intimidating to you. And the thing about it is, is just that there's some kind of embedded fear you have towards these creatures. And so, there's a way to break free of that. Maybe being part of this survival, uh, animal survival plan of mine, it might break the habit. Who knows? But ultimately, we all have to find our way back to nature because if things go the way the world goes, we're all going to end up back in the beginning trying to strive for survival every day looking for food, trying to build a shelter in the most hardest terrain on earth, you know, trying to be able to clothe ourselves and keep ourselves warm when it's cold or cool when it's hot. We're going to be able to go through this physical stuff without technology, without the comforts of the city, you know, because even if the city right now, let's say something hit a meteor or a war or whatever, and then that passes, whatever, you know, traumatic disaster is that passes, a person has to sit there in the city with no power, has to sit there with no, you know, substance, and so you have to go right back to learning nature again, go right back to primitive man, which ultimately makes primitive man the most strongest, the most powerful, and the most wisest, because they know how to survive out in the wild. People like look at this, like I said, they're too entitled, 
they're too spoiled, they're really arrogant. And so they think this is all life is, but life originally goes back to the man. We had to walk through the fields, we had to go through the desert, we had to live either in a tent, a hut, a cave, we had to scrounge for food every day, and we had to try to protect whatever children he made in a place that really says to hell with you. <laughs> and so that person had to learn how to connect with nature. And that's what we got to do. And I believe once we get that connection back, we will get the, the connection to be together as people without so many conflicts. You know, every now and then, put your cell phone down, turn it off, TV, everything, turn it off, sit back and try to sit back in a moment of silence and try to understand peace of mind. Try to have that harmony in your mind. Clear your thoughts. Try to sit back and read a book. Do whatever it is that can keep you comfortable and be able to make you more in tune with yourself. And by doing so, you might be more in tune to the things around you that get ignored every day, like a bird or a tree. I'm not trying to sound like a big hippie, but <laughs> that's the point I'm trying to make is that we need to be more connected and just the separation is not worth it. So we have to say no on separation, period. Reach out and connect with someone who needs to be connected and try to understand the different parts of how people's personalities can be and have patience. And with that being said, this is Moral High Ground. And this is Shelby signing off. Peace be with you and blessings upon you always. Farewell.